All right, let's get started. Um, so far today, what have you done? Did you take a shower? Did you brush your teeth? Did you get dressed? Woo, thanks be to God. <laughs> did you make coffee or tea? Uh, did you eat something? Maybe you read your Bible. Did you check your phone? Some of you probably, you worked out or you watched something. What if I told you you really didn't do any of those things? You're like, you're like, wait, yes, I did. But what? No, no. What if, you, what if I told you you were not thinking when you did those things? It's almost like it happened automatically. Like if someone were following you around so far this morning with a camera, which, by the way, would be really weird. But if they were, they would, you would notice if you watched the replay of that that you didn't stop and think about brushing your teeth. Stroke one, stroke two, stroke three, turn. Stroke one, stroke two, stroke three, right? I bet most of you, like me, brush your teeth the same way every day, don't you? Every day without fail. Or you take a shower the same way every day without fail. But you were not thinking about it at all. Everything you were doing, if you were to watch the replay of this morning of your life, was absolutely seamless, almost predictable. Why is that? It's because many things in our lives become a habit. Uh, there's a song by Nine Inch Nails. Any of my 90s people in here? From Nine Inch Nails, Trent Reznor, he has a song, and his song lyrics go like this. I believe I can see the future because I repeat the same routine. I don't know if you know that line or not. Listen, if you're an assassin out there, if you're an assassin out there, if you are an assassin out there, I would be an easy person to assassinate. Why? Here's what you got to do. Step one, watch me for one day. Step two, just I'm going to repeat the same thing the next day. <laughs> I don't have any zig or zag in my schedule. I just do the, am I right? I do the same thing every day like clockwork. So for all the assassins out there, I just did your job for you. But anyway, why is that? It's because these things have become a habit. What is a habit? A habit is a behavior that starts as a choice and it becomes almost unconscious, in a pattern in our life. These unconscious patterns determine a lot of our behavior. Did you know there was a Duke study out there that said 40% of the things we do each and every day, we do without thinking about at all. Think about that. Almost half of the things you do in a day, you're not even thinking about. It's automatic. Why is that? It has become a habit. Uh, I want to take you back in time, so jump in your DeLorean with me, and we'll go 88 miles an hour together. The year is 1993. I am 16 years old, and I have a 1967 red Ford Mustang. Can you see it in your mind's eye? And so I have also some denim acid wash jeans on, a nice little uh, mullet, which we call a Kentucky waterfall or mud flap, depends on where you're from. And so uh, there is a maneuver when you start driving that is the most terrifying maneuver ever. You know what that maneuver is, right? Do you know what it is? Merging on the interstate. Do you remember that? Cause I remember like every little bit of like merging on the interstate the first time ever in my 67 Mustang as a 16 year old by myself. And like, I'm thinking through every process. My heart rate is going up. I'm nervous. My hands are sweating. There may be a little pee as well. I don't know. And so I'm getting ready to get up on there. I'm checking my mirrors. I'm thinking about check my mirrors. I'm thinking about look to my left. I'm thinking about accelerate. I'm thinking about turn. I'm thinking about everything. Why? Because it's kind of the first time I've done it. And so, like, when you first, you know, start doing something, you have to think consciously about everything you do. Now, over 30 years later, look, when I merge onto an interstate, like, I'm cranking out an email driving with one knee, right? <laughs> Some of you are so judging me right now, but don't you judge me. You've done it, too. I'm kidding. I don't do that. Wink. All right. <laughs> anyway, there's a simple neurological reason for why we, what once took effort now requires virtually none whatsoever. It's a process these neuroscientists call chunking. 
It's basically your brain gets lazy and it just chunks all these things. It knows how to do it. It just does it without any thought, any willpower, any anything. That just tells us, it informs us, it cues us to know that habits are powerful. Even more powerful than our willpower, habits eat willpower for breakfast. They're that important. Why is that? Or what does it take to create a new habit? You need three things to create a new habit. Number one, you need a cue. Number two, you need a routine. And number three, you need a reward, okay? And so how do we have a cue? How do we have a, a routine? And how do we have a reward? Well, I'm glad you asked. Today, we are doing this whole thing where we take a, a Sunday off and we talk about our church rhythms. We're in a new season. We're getting ready to have this new cue with these new routines and a new reward called Lent. And so if you're new at Grace Point Church within the past 11 months, uh, this may be a whole new concept for you, but we as a church, we do observe the Lenten season here. And so uh, maybe you've been a while, uh, around for a while and you need a good refresher of what Lent is all about. Uh, but for all of us, God uses good gospel habits uh, to shape us and to form us in Christ. And throughout the year, we take a pause on Sundays right when the seasons are getting ready to change. And we explain the change of the season so you know what's going on. And so today we're taking a, a pause to talk about the next coming season, which would be Lent. And so today is going to feel a little different than most Sundays. Uh, it's going to feel like almost like a tune-up in our lives because there are times in our life we just need kind of a tune-up, like your car needs a tune-up, our souls need a tune-up as well. And so uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today is Lent. Why will we talk about Lent or why will we do any of this? Well, it kind of goes back to our mission. The mission of Grace Point Church is, and you can repeat it after me if you know it, the mission of Grace Point Church is to make disciples of Jesus that live in community for the community. Okay, all right. I like that. You guys know this pretty well. And everything we do is about being disciples who make disciples of Jesus that live in community for the community. And all that is done by the gospel. And, and like we want to be gospel-formed people. And the gospel is the good news of Jesus. Jesus came. Jesus lived a perfect life in our place. Jesus died a death on the cross. Three days later, he resurrected, came back to life, defeating sin, Satan, and death. Forty days later, after roaming around and people saw him, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he will return to rule and reign and make all things new again. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, the gospel. And so here at Grace Point Church, we want to be formed by the gospel. And one of the things that helps form us in the gospel is our calendar. And so we follow what's basically known as a historical liturgical calendar here. And so we, uh, if you remember from uh, the end of last year, we had the season of Advent. Advent is pointing to what? Christmas, right? It's coming to the first coming of Jesus. Then after uh, Advent, you have the Christmas time. Then after Christmas time, we're in the, a time of epiphany right now where we're looking at the life and the work of Jesus. And now we're getting ready to go into the Lent season. And the Lent season means what we are called to do what? Come on. You give, what is it? Starts with, starts with, it has three, three letters in it. Starts with a D, ends with an I. Yeah, we're called to die. And some of you are like, wait a minute. I thought we were supposed to be called to life. Well, it's in dying is where we find our life, but that's going to lead us all the way up to time of Easter, where's this renewed time, renewed time of uh, Jesus' resurrection and living in the resurrected power of Jesus. But we are now going to be transitioning into the Lent season. Again, I've said Lent a few times, and you're like, I don't know what Lent means. Some of you are like, Lent, isn't that what I find in my belly button, gross or drier? <laughs> no, it's not. It's L-E-N-T. 
Some of you have had some exposure to Lent. Some of you, when you hear the word Lent, you're like, wait a minute, is that Catholic? How, are, are, why are we doing Catholic things? Some of you grew up Catholic, and all you hear during the Lent season is, what are you giving up for Lent? What are you getting rid of for Lent? What are you doing without for Lent? Uh, some of you grew up with maybe a Roman Catholic or Catholic or Episcopalian or Anglican or some Lutheran, and so you know Lent, and Lent has been just a beautiful time of year for you of, of what it means to, to die in order to live. Some of you, uh, maybe you grew up in those traditions, and it was not a beautiful time for you. It was just a time of resentment, a time of ritualistic, a time of giving up and not knowing why. Some of you would say, well, how in the world can we as a Protestant church um, do Lent or participate in the Lenten season? Why would we do that? Well, uh, here's what I would say. We do rhythm-type things already as it is. For 2,000 years, the church, our history, we live in rhythms and patterns. You're, You're experiencing one of the rhythms and patterns right now by just joining us on a Sunday morning. We do this every Sunday morning. Did you guys know this? Some of you are like, I thought we just did that like first and third Sundays. No, every Sunday we gather together. You know why we gather together? Well, we've got work to do together. We have uh, things like we have to remember, rehearse, and respond to the gospel. That's what we do while we gather here together. You think about also in, a, in, in the life of the church for, through over the past 2,000 years, there's two big events that happen in the life of church. What are those two big events? Christmas and Easter. Okay. Did you know, now the Christmas and Easter is very important, right? Christmas means Jesus came. Easter means Jesus rose from the dead. But did you know there was a lot of things that happened before Christmas and in between Christmas and Easter and after Easter? Did you know that? There's, there's, there's more. And so what we want to do is we want to tap into that more and, and, and fully understand just the, the height, the depth, the breadth, and, and the scope of the gospel. And so Lent helps us do that as well. Uh, Matt Butler said this one time. He said, Lent is a 40-day church rhythm of repentance and renewal leading up to Easter, meant to lead us into the heart of the gospel. And so that's the point of Lent, is to lead us into the heart of the gospel. So let let me kind of lay it down like this to help you understand this. What do we celebrate on Easter? What happened at Easter? Okay. Jesus comes back to life. What must happen for Jesus to come back to life? He's got to die. And so if all we do is show up on Easter and we hear Jesus is back to life, we kind of missed a very important part of the story, his death. And so what Lent does, it brings to light the crucial piece of the story, Jesus' suffering and death. And that way, it's just not an afterthought. So how do we kick off Lent? I'm glad you asked. Uh, This Wednesday, we'll be having what's called Ash Wednesday at 630 So make sure you join us for our Ash Wednesday gathering this Wednesday at 6.30. I believe we're going to have early childhood. So if you've got uh, kindergarten and down, we'll be able to watch them over there while you join in here. Uh, We'll hear all about Ash Wednesday. It'll give us a time of repentance because that's part of Ash Wednesday as well. There'll be a little message there. There'll be song as well. And at the end, you're going to take, if if you choose to, the imposition of the ash. Nothing is more jarring than someone getting at your in your face, not in like disrespectful way, during Ash Wednesday, and whispering these words to you. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. And like even better is like if you have trusted Christ, they're going to make an ash mark on your head like this. And if you trusted Christ, then you're going to hear these words whispered over you. Therefore, go and consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then you're going to take that mark as well. Isn't that great? Like to take, and that way we, we, we have this mark on us that shows I am in Christ. I am dead, but because I'm dead, I can be alive in Christ Jesus. That's what Lent is taking us to. 
It's the process of dying. And I know that it's so countercultural, even counterchurchural. That's not even a word. I just made that up. Somewhat in, in, in the today's church. But because in today's church, everything's got to be epic, awesome, amazing, grandioso, victory all the time. But it, that's not the truth, is it? And, and the gospel is kind of counter of that. Sometimes in order to find life, you must first die. Uh, Eugene Peterson, I think I quote him about every other week now because that's about all I'm reading is Eugene Peterson. It's phenomenal. He says this. He calls this, this idea a gospel paradox. In getting us ready to live, Jesus gets us ready to die. First, he gets himself ready to die so that he can live. Then he gets us ready. Our habit is to think life first, then death. Jesus radicalizes our perception. First death, then life. The death is not primarily biological, although it will eventually include that. Just that means we're going to die. Jesus is leading us to death of sin, and sin is a cat with nine lives. Jesus is leading us to the Lenten death that will catapult us into the Easter resurrection. That's why we're, we're, we're going to practice this. But even more, uh, even greater than the words of Eugene Peterson would be the words of Jesus in Matthew 16, verse 24. Don't miss this. Maybe you've heard this a thousand times, but let this wash over you. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, meaning if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to be a Christian, let him or her deny themselves, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a person if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? This is not Jesus just saying some, huh, that's cool. That'll look good on a rug at my house. No, Jesus means that literally that when we lose our lives, that's where we absolutely find our lives. See, Jesus and his words are not meant to be kept at arm's length. They're actually meant to be lived out. It's one of those things, if we're not careful as Christians, we want a head full of knowledge. We want to be taught things, which is a wonderful thing, and we should be but we don't want to apply anything or we don't want to put it in practice. And what Lent gives us, the season of Lent, gives us an opportunity to put this stuff into practice. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Sound good? All right, so here's what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to give us the three hearts behind Lent. And then after that, super easy, applicable, the three habits of Lent, Okay. And so if you've got our Bible, go to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be in the Beatitudes is, uh, or the uh, Sermon on the Mount. This is what Jesus taught uh, starting in Matthew 5, but we'll be in Matthew 6. If you don't have a Bible, make sure you get one because here at Grace Point Church, you're going to need one. We have them in English and Spanish at these tables out at Center Point. And then also your Version app is a good app on your phone. You can download that. Click events and all the Grace Point Church notes will show up. But today we're going to look at the heart of Lent and the habits of Lent. Should be fun or not. We'll see. That should be. It's God's word, man. More fun than that. The heart of Lent. Number one. You're going to love this. Give. The heart of it is generosity. Uh, throughout church history, you see kind of three habits emerge and three hearts emerge for the season of Lent. And the first one is generosity. The exercise of giving is increased during the time of Lent. Giving to God's purpose and mission. Uh, give to the poor and needy. It's a time to practice generosity. Now, here's what I know when I start talking about money and giving. 
you start to kind of have that twitch a little bit, and you're looking at it, and you're like, oh, gosh, here we go. That's all the church wants to talk about it. They want my money. I, I get that. I totally get that. I used to think the same thing as well. I totally understand. And I know this. A lot of people have been wounded when it comes to money in the church. I've heard horror stories about people missing church, and then someone from the church banging on their door. and like, hey, uh, we really haven't missed you, but we've missed your money, so pay up. Not quite that blunt, but kind of sort. I've heard that. I, I know what it's like to watch TV and watch those people with all the hairspray and all the you know, colorful suits and the jets and all that doing way better than the rest of us. And they're on there trying to you know, get money from older people is what it looks like they're trying to do. Like call this number and give $10 and we're going to give you $1,000. But if you get $1,000, the Lord's going to give you $1 million, but that $1 million just never comes. You probably heard those as well. I, I know there's been plenty of church scandal to where there's been money taken away from the church and you've been faithful to give, but then you hear of a scandal where someone's robbed the church or done something scandalous. I get it. I understand. But the reality is each and every one of us deal with money, wealth, and possessions. Whether you're a Christian or not, we all deal with it. And the Bible talks a lot about that. Did you know Jesus talks about uh, money, wealth, and possessions I've heard like two-thirds of the time in, in, in the gospel. So he talks a lot about it. And I would say the reason is because our hearts are so tied to it. We are so reluctant to talk about money and finance and giving because of our heart condition. I heard this story. Don't know if it's true, but I'm going to act like it's true because it's a great story. It should be true. I heard the story back in the Crusades. Not the best time for us Christians in history. Am I right? Anyway, during the Crusades, they would go and they would baptize the soldiers and the soldier was like, you know, you can baptize me, but I'm, ho I'm, I'm holding my, wa my, my sword above the water. And what they're saying was the Lord can have my body and soul, but the Lord cannot have my sword. And if, if you were to do that in modern terms, most of us would get baptized with our purses and wallets above the water. <laughs> Lord, you can have my soul, but you ain't getting any of my money. But like, what, what's the heart behind giving? It's not that the church needs your money. We don't need your money. It's not that Jesus wants you. It's not that. It's, it, there's a heart behind it all. And I think that heart is generosity. And where should we look at for generosity? I think we should look to Jesus. When you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, we kind of get the heart of Jesus right here. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, meaning he was in heaven, he had everything, he was rich. Though he was rich, uh, for your sake, he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Do you know that, reach, that, that Jesus gave up a whole lot coming to earth? <laughs> I mean, that's an understatement right there. The riches of heaven to come down here and squalor with us. Why? So we, the poor ones, could become rich. And I don't mean like money right now. I mean rich in him and rich in the kingdom of God. Jesus talks a lot about giving in the Sermon on the Mount. Go to Matthew 6. That's where we'll be the majority of our time. Matthew 6. Jesus is talking. He's teaching his disciples. So we can hear this as disciples as well. He says this in Matthew 6, 1, beware of practicing. Now, notice that practicing means a habit. Beware of, of forming the habit. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward for, from your Father who is in heaven. So what he's saying here, he's like, be careful when you talk about giving, when you talk about doing something, don't just do it so other, other people will see you. Because if you just do it so other people will see you, That'll be your reward. And you know how much that's worth, right? It lasts about eight seconds. It's done. All right? That's what he's talking about then. So he keeps on talking. He says in verse 2, he says, thus, when you give, pause. What did Jesus say right there to his disciples? Did he say if? He said when. 
So there's an assumption as a follower of Jesus, somehow, some way, we must have a heart of generosity. He says, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpets before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. It's basically like these hypocrites would put money in the pot and go, and everybody would look around like, oh man, that guy gave a whole lot. He's like, don't do that. <laughs> I could imagine like us passing, passing the plates. And everybody pulls out their, their Mitch trumpet back here. Doo, doo, doo. I'm like, I gave a dollar. No, it's not like CrossFit where you get your PR and ring a bell. It's not that whatsoever. No, okay, cool. He said, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. They got what they wanted, the praise of people. But when you give, now he's talking to us. He's talking to us. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret, what's he going to do? Hold that. Hold that. Because remember, I said, how do you start a new habit? It's got to have a cue, a, a routine, and a reward. So ho- I want you to hold that. So Jesus, he's not saying if you give. He's saying when you give. So the, time, the season of Lent is for uh, an opportunity to be even more generous. And for some of us, it's a great opportunity to start being generous. It's an opportunity to grow and start having a heart of generosity. Why? As Christians, I'm going to argue from the Bible, we should be the most generous people in the world. Why? Because we have received so much from the Lord. I love, love, love what Tim Keller says about the early Christians giving. He said this. Hear this. It's so good. He says the early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. The pagan, the non-Christian society, was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. A pagan gave nobody their money and practically gave everybody their body. And the Christians came along and gave practically nobody their bodies and gave practically everybody their money. Like, I just, I love that. So how do we give? How do we form a habit of giving? Hold that. We'll come back to that in a minute. Number one, generosity. I think that's the heart of Lent. Number two, prayer. And I think one of the, one of the uh, hearts of prayer would be devotion. It's showing that we are devoted to the Lord. There is a love communing relationship with God himself. Look what it says in Matthew 6, 5. You still with me? Okay, Matthew 6, 5. And when you pray, what does he say right there? So he's not saying if you pray. That's not kind of optional for us. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in synagogues and at street corners that they may be seen by others. They're just praying out loud so everyone will see them. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. They get what they want. Sometimes one of God's greatest judgments to us is giving us what we want. We see, right, we get what we want right there. He says, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Verse 6, but when you pray, talking to us, go into your room. Shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. What's that next line say? And your father who sees in secret, what's he going to do? Okay, H- hang, on, hang on to that. Hang on to that. Hang on. Um, so I'm a, I don't know if you know this or not. I'm a pastor and a preacher. Um, and, you know, I, I try to be pretty straightforward. And I, I don't try to, I, I don't want to manipulate. I don't want to do anything like that. But if I were, if I were to try to manipulate, if I were to try to guilt you into something, here's how I would do it. How's your prayer life? Because almost all of us, when we hear, hey, how, how's your prayer life going? What, what, do we, what do we feel like? Oh, you just feel like, oh, I mean, I, there, I should pray more. I know. I, I don't pray as much as I should. But let's, let's pause because I'm not trying to guilt you, not trying to shame you. But I, I want us to think about that. 
it's a good season to think about it. Let's evaluate how is, how is your prayer life? Because we would all, let's just kind of put the guard down right now. We would all in here say, I wish I'd pray more. Am I right? I almost want to do this, but don't. Like, raise your hand if you feel like you pray enough. I pray enough. <laughs> good. No. So we all agree we need to pray more. So kind of evaluate. Some of you may say, you may be in that kind of realm of like, hey, I just don't, I just don't pray at all. Some of you say, hey, I pray occasionally, like maybe, you know, if I got to say grace. Some of you say, I pray only when I'm in trouble. Lord, get me to work on time. Would you part the traffic like Moses in the Red Sea so I could drive through? I get it. I get it again. Uh, some of you would say, hey, I, I pray regular. Like I have a consistent time where I go and pray. And, like, and then, you know, some of you say I'm constantly praying. Like that, that's kind of where we want to get to where we're just kind of breath praying all the time. Like, Lord, would you bless them and help them and be with them? Lord, like, would you walk me through this? Lord, thank you for like, you know. But, like, where would you kind of find yourself in prayer? Um, what, what if we were to take the next 40 days and really devote ourselves to prayer? Could you imagine what would happen to you? Not even what would happen to the people you're praying for and what's going on around the world, but what, ha- what would happen in your heart? Imagine how it would cause more devotion for you. Imagine how it caused more love of Jesus. Imagine how it caused more, I, I would argue, more empathy and compassion towards self and towards other people around you. Uh, um, imagine how it would form us and shape us more into Christ. Imagine the peace it would give us that we would not be worrying about everything in our life, that we would give it to God and allow him to worry about imagine if you will what if god were to answer your prayers you ever thought about that did you know that god answers prayers and here's what many of us think yeah he answers other people's prayers no 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 what if we got real like serious about prayer and devoted ourselves to prayer i think god answers prayers i know god answers prayers what if we got really serious about that over the next 40 days. Imagine what that looked like in our own heart and the, and, and the, and the, commute, the world around us. How do you pray? Some of you are asking that right now. Like, Ty, I really don't know how to pray. Hold that. I'll help us at the end. So, so far during Lent season, there's two out of three. Generosity is a heart of, of, of the Lent season, the Lenten season. And then also we have devotion. Let, let me give you the last one. Number three, fasting. Fasting or, uh, and I, I'm going to say what fasting does is it begins to sharpen or even change our desires. And that's what we need is our desires change. But fasting typically, historically uh, for Christians is what people do during the season of Lent. That's why a lot of you hear, hey, what are you giving up for Lent? It's not just giving up something. It's much more than that. Let me, let me show you. Look at Matthew 6, 16. Still there? You good? Okay, Matthew 6, 16. He says, and when you fast. So what, what's he saying right there? When? Like, now he's not saying if. He said when you fast. And I, I think this is the forgotten discipline of Christians today. Like we, that's something we typically don't do a whole lot of. Maybe because we live in a, a, in a time of, of, of aflu- aflu- uh, excess. Ex- come on, Ty, get that word. Excess. Does that sound right? Excess. excess. There it is. I'm like, it's coming out all wrong. Excess. We live in a time with a lot of stuff. How about that? That's better. <laughs> This porky pig, that word. <laughs> what do you do? I'm from Kentucky. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. It's like basically you're doing without and you're doing everything to make yourself look horrible. So everybody, like, hey, bro, what is wrong with you? I'm 
fasting for the Lord. It's like, oh, look, you need a bath, bro. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. He says, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. You get what you want. If you want people to look at you, listen, we live in a time where you can get anyone to look at you now. Just throw it up on social media. Get all your thumbs up. He's like, Jesus is like, that's your reward. That's what you want. But, verse 17, when you, when you fast, talking to us, this is Jesus speaking to us, I believe. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret, what will he do? Yeah, he will. Hold, hold that. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Now, typically, fasting has to do with food, uh, but there's a heart behind fasting. Uh, fasting means giving up good in order to gain the best. Fasting means losing to win. Fasting means changing our appetites to acquire greater hunger for God and thirst for God. Uh, fasting means curving our cravings to feed our soul. At the end of the day, for Lent, fasting means dying in order to live. That's what fasting means. Why does Jesus call us to fasting? I can give us one reason why I think Jesus is saying when you fast. Because fasting changes our desires. Habits stir and create desires. And when we have a habit of fasting regularly, it's going to begin to shape and change our desires. Uh, if you fast forward in the New Testament a little bit, you don't have to go there. I'll just explain it to you and show you. Uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians, which, by the way, uh, the Corinthian church, crazy, am I right? A lot of stuff going on there. And so uh, the city of Corinth was a crazy place too, very crazy culture. A lot of stuff going on, a lot of excess, got it right that time, a lot of stuff. And so um, they had a saying back then, and this saying in the culture ended up making its way into the church and kind of became a church saying as well. And Paul goes to undo that because that's what happens to us sometimes. Sometimes we hear sayings in the world, the culture, and it comes into the church. And we're like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. And we adopt it, but it's not really good. And the saying went like this, 1 Corinthians 6, 13, first part. Is food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. You hear that and you're like, duh, that's exactly what it means. But there was a cultural heart that went behind it. It's the idea that the body has an appetite for food, for pleasure, for sex, or for whatever. And so you are supposed to feed the appetite or the desire anytime you have it. Meaning, don't deny yourself anything. And Paul heard that this was going through the church, like, nope, that's not the way of Jesus at all. The mindset is, if you have a desire, you should feel it as soon as possible, never deny yourself at all. And Paul, he had to go and absolutely crush that. And I think the reason why Jesus is talking about that when we go back to Matthew 16, or 616, is because he wants us to have greater desires than what's just in front of us. That's why he says in Matthew 616 again, Jesus assumes that we are fasting. He says, we, when you fast, we need to fast because our physical appetites are so intense that they are threatened to overwhelm our hunger and thirst for God. You got to feel that, right? Our hunger is so intense for everything around us that it threatens our hunger and thirst for God. John Piper, O.J. Pipe said this. He said, the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but the mindless nibbling at the table of the world. You think about your greatest adversary when it comes to like forgetting God or not being God aware or not hunger and thirsting for God. It's typically, I would argue, not Satan or anything like that. It's typically the good things of the world, isn't it? It's just getting more of the good. And here's what we're essentially doing when we, when we go to the gift 
and not the giver. Because what we want is we want the gift more than the giver at times. It's like we want the hand of God and not the face of God. The face of God is who God is, if you kind of imagine that way. The hand of God is like, God, just give me this stuff. God, just give me what I want. And what happens is we end up switching to we worship the gift or it gets all of our time, energy, efforts, and attention and desires and not the giver himself. See, you may be saying, well, Ty, what are you saying? That we should just get rid of every good gift and just seek God and God alone? No, because God gives us the good gifts for reason. We just have to have them in the right place. The good gifts of God are a a thing, a, a purpose to point us to the goodness of God. So that's like when God gives us good food, like he gives us salads and tofus and stuff like that. When he gives us good wine or he gives us good relationships or he gives us sports or any of those types of things, they are to be used as an appetizer to stir the soul so it will help propel us into the full course of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? But what do we do? We get full on the appetizers, don't we? You've been to Chili's before. You know. That's what we do. Now, listen to what I'm getting ready to say. We're getting it out of order. And disordered loves will always lead us to discontentment. Please hear me on that. Some of you right now are struggling. With just, you're just discontent. You have no satisfaction whatsoever in life, but it feels like you have everything you need. Why is that? That's called a disordered love. Your loves are out of order. You are supremely loving the gifts of God and not God himself. See, the real, the real problem that we have is this. We are content with having every desire met in our life. Because we live, we live pretty large right now, if we got really honest. We have everything at our fingertips. And so it feels like, if we're not careful, every desire is met. And yet, when we have that feeling of every desire being met, it's when we do not desire God himself. And so what do we need more than anything in this season? I would argue fasting. We need to fast in order to change our desires. So that's the three hearts behind the season of Lent. It's generosity, it's devotion, and it's desire. Okay? So now I want to help us. How do we, what are the practices of Lent? So I want to switch over and talk about the habits of Lent. Are you still with me? I still got you. Okay. So let's talk about the three habits of Lent. The first habit we're going to talk about is giving. I'm going to make a bold ask today. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to challenge you that all of us together as a family, we participate in these three habits I'm going to talk about. The first one is giving. What should I give or how should I give? And here's what, how I would answer that. There's an Old Testament story in the book of Malachi, or some of you may say Malachi, and I love saying it every time, Malachi. In the book of Malachi, uh, God, like, God is talking about their holiness and their faithfulness to him, to him, talking to his people about how holy and faithful they are to him. And so he basically gets out the budget. He gets out the spreadsheet. He's like, all right, let's see how, let's see how faithful you are to me. And so he kind of like uh, looks at their spreadsheets, basically their budget, and says, hey, you guys are not doing what I told you to do. You guys are not, you're not giving and being generous, gener- generous in the way I've told you to. He's instructed them to give a tenth of their flock, a tenth of their grain, a tenth of their income back to him. That would be if they had one goat, they are to give, or they have 10 goats, they are to give, if they have one goat, well, (laughs) God, you get the tail. There you go. If you have 10 goats, 
One goes to the storehouse, goes as an act of worship to God. Nine you keep. But here is the caveat. You were supposed to give the first fruit and the best of the flock. You don't give God crumbs. What they got in a habit of doing was they would look at their 10 goats and they're like, all right, these are really good ones, but, but Larry the goat over there, man, he's on three legs, eyeball popped out, got a cough. He doesn't look so good. Let's take that one to the Lord. And they started getting in that practice of taking uh, their leftovers or their crumbs, and that got them in trouble. Malachi 3.8 says this, Will man rob God? He doesn't call it, hey, God, just hold up, man. I just need to grow a little bit. And I, no, he calls it robbing him. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, have we robbed you? He says, in your tithes and contributions. He keeps going on. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test. God's like, test me in this. Test me. It's, it's because you're relying on yourself. You think you need 100%. He's like, test me in this. Live on 90, and I'll show you what I can do with 10. That's what he does. And so he, he, he says, put me to the test, says the Lord. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down from you a blessing until there is no more need. And some of you hear that like, all right, here's the prosperity gospel now. If I give God $10, here comes $1,000 my way. That's not what he's talking about right there. Listen to me. Listen. Don't ever forget this. There is blessing and obedience. There is. is. Is it always financial? Nope. No, it's not. It may be the blessing and obedience may be more persecution, more suffering, and more trials, and yet a greater sense of peace of Christ in you. Isn't that a blessing? Would we call that a blessing? You best believe it. So uh, I, I did a little bit of research. I'm trying to think of like, okay, well, where are we as a church? Where is the church at, at, at large in America at? Uh, on, on average, the average Christian gives 2% uh, to, to a church. 2%. Pretty low. Uh, I think that's low. Where are we at Grace Point Church? Uh, I, I want to give you some numbers. So a long time ago, we broke down four types of giver here, here at Grace Point Church. And, uh, and then the powers to be, they know how to figure all this out. It's not quite science. There's a little bit of art that goes along with it. But I want to give you kind of a state of where we are in the giving here at Grace Point. So let me give you the first one. Non-giver. Non, these are people who give nothing. 7% of Grace Point Church gives nothing whatsoever. Sporadic givers. This, is be, this would be people who just kind of give sporadically. It's not really um, not something that like a monthly or not something that is kind of thought through as, as worship or it might just be they have uh, irregular uh, uh, giving habits, whatever that looks like. Sporadic, 46%. Regular givers. These are people who give regular uh, every, every month or bi-weekly or something like that. They're just regular, on-time people just giving because they're thinking about worshiping with it. That would be 44%. Extravagant givers, it's like, I've heard it's 3%. These are people just give like outlandish amounts of money and it's really cool. Now, when you look at these numbers, uh, I, I, when I, I found, uh, I got these numbers this week, I was like so proud of Grace Point Church. Like this right here, tells me that Grace Point Church is a giving and generous church. So I just want to thank you for uh, resembling your Lord Jesus Christ and being generous in this area and not worshiping your money, but worshiping with your money. So I just want to tell you thank you. I've done this in the past where I felt like a, a dad scolding his kids. Y'all aren't giving anything. You need to you know, step it up or whatever. But I don't feel like that at all. I feel like a pr this is a proud moment to where like people are, being, are giving. So thank you. Well done. I feel like you're stunned by this. I, have you never been encouraged before? Like, is this, like, what, what, is, what are these kind words to me? Oh my gosh, what is it? 
but wait, wait, way to go. Now, I would say this, there's 7% that are giving nothing. And may, maybe that is because you're not a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, please give nothing. We want you to receive. All we do is want you to receive Jesus. But maybe you're here and you're kind of new at this and you're new at following Jesus. You're like, oh, shoot, I didn't know, like, I was supposed to help out. I didn't know that was part of worshiping with my money and all that. Hey, great. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. If that's you, I want to encourage you, maybe start with this 40 days. Start March, April, May, during this, this Lent season or leading up to Easter, however you want to do that, and, and just give. Why not start somewhere? Give 5%, give 10%. Just, just be faithful, be intentional, be sacrificial, as the Bible says, and just give. Maybe for others of us, we've been giving for a long time and we don't even think about it. It's not really an act of worship. It's just like something that gets electronically withdrawn from our checking. Maybe it's a season to reevaluate that. So you know what? It's an opportunity for me to be more generous and for me to worship more with this to where I can feel this and to where it's actually a thought behind I'm using this to worship the Lord and to expand his kingdom and do kingdom work with it. Maybe that would be you as well. Some of you hear this, you would say, well, Ty, I don't, I don't know about this because like I, I'm in such debt right now and I've made re really poor choices with my finances. And when you talk about money, it makes me feel bad. It makes me feel shaming, ma makes me feel guilt. If that's you, listen to me. Hey, you remember uh, this thing that happened a couple thousand years ago uh, when Jesus went to a cross and died? You remember that? Well, if you're in Christ, when he went to the cross and died, all your sin is forgiven and your guilt and your shame hung there. And the Bible tells us that uh, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 1. So why don't you just apply the gospel to yourself? And then this might be an opportunity for you, like, you know what, it's, it's, time, for me, it's time for me to take a step and to, and to give. And, and one of the ways we can help you with that is we have what's called a financial wisdom cohort coming right up that'll help you learn how to use your money wisely, be a good steward of it, uh, create a budget, get out of debt, and all those things so you can be generous with your wealth. Sound good? So one of the practices, one of the, ha the habits of Lent would be giving. What if we all got on board as a family and we all gave together and we could see what God's going to do as we go plant churches, as we support people, as we help with benevolence around the community, as we help support Give down in uh, uh, El Salvador? What if we were all to get involved with that and be a part of that? It'd be a great thing for us to do, okay? Let me give you the second and third. I got two minutes. Where did the time go? Uh, the second and third together. We have giving, and then we have prayer and fasting. What about prayer and fasting? They go, no, not there, the prayer and fasting. Okay, it's cool. Prayer and fasting. <laughs> uh, they go hand in hand. Um, typically, uh, when it comes to fasting, you give up food. And so it may be like not eating a meal a week. It might be not eating one day a week. Maybe you take up what we've done here many years uh, called a Daniel fast. If you'd like more information on that, we have these online at gracepointvegas.com. You can print them out, or if you need one, we can print them out for you. But they are a prayer and fasting guide. It's got a calendar on there of what to do, what to eat each and every day. It's kind of like a Daniel fast, uh, but it really gives you all the why, what, who, how, when, and all that. So make sure you grab one of those or, or download that so you can be um, so you can fast together with us. Um, or with that, maybe it's not food so much that you need to fast from. Maybe it's something that just has your desires. Maybe the thing that's grabbing your, the greatest attention in your life would be your phone. Social media. Amazon.com. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Watching TV. Watch, don't be talking about mine. I'm the preacher. You... 
Hello there, man. I'm the preacher. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, it, it could be all sorts of things. Why not fast during this 40 days from social media if that's something that's really got your heart, really stirs you in, in negative ways? Or take that Amazon app off your phone or stop watching TV, as my friend just told me to stop doing. Or it could be like, like why not fast? That way you can grow in greater desire for the Lord. And why not do it as a community or as a family? Like when you pick something you're going to fast from for 40 days, let someone in your community group know or someone, just another brother and sister in Christ know. Why not do it as a family? If you're married, do it as a husband and wife. Why not get your kids involved? Like, you know, maybe they're going to do it without candy on one day a week or without, God forbid I say, video games one day a week or something like, or the, the iPhone or the iPad or whatever for one day. Now, side note, if you get your kids involved in this, you need to understand what you're doing don't just take everything away from your six-year-old and say, we're doing this for Jesus. And like, I don't want to do this for Jesus. Like, Jesus is not my friend. Like, no, no. Make sure they understand what's going on. You don't want to crush a little kid and be like, no, that's not good. Uh, but, you know, there's a great opportunity to do this. Listen, God just doesn't want us to do without. And like, that makes us better people. No, he wants us to do without for a reason so we can do without, so we can have more of him. And, and fasting, like from food, just to like, oh, I'm going to do this for physical, you know, for losing weight or whatever. That's fine in that realm, but we're not doing it for that. When we fast, we want to take whatever we're removing, like a meal or a video game or a show or whatever that is, and we want to replace it with prayer. Think about that. Many of us have major life decisions going on right now. Should I stay? Should I go? Who should I date? Who should I marry? Like, where should I go to college? Should I do this thing God's called me to? We have major life things going on. And one of the best things we can do is fast to really attune our hearts and our minds to the Lord and pray and ask Him of things, right? That's one of the reasons why you fast. Now, I talk about prayer, and some of you are like, Ty, I don't know how to pray. I've got this simple acronym that I've been using for years. I've shared it with you. I'll share it again. I use prayer, P-R-A-Y-E. P-A-R-A-Y-E-R. -R. First one is praise. I start my prayer. I actually start reading the Bible first, and then I pray. my P is praise. I praise God from things I read in his word. I praise God for the things around. I just take a while to sit and praise God. R is repentance. When I read the Bible, I, I realize how much I fail. When I just think about things, I realize how much I fail. And so I want to use that time like, to confess and repent before the Lord. A is ask. I ask God things on my own behalf. I have a list of like my covenant partners, my family, my friends, people I know that aren't saved in the back of my Bible. And I pray for them continually. Uh, why is yield? That means I just don't talk anymore. And I say, God, is there anything you want to say to me? And I sit in silence. Lord, do you want to say something to me? Lord, do you want to show me something in your word? E is in trust. Uh, I get my calendar out and I look at my day and I pray for my day. Like if I'm meeting with you, I've prayed for you before we met. I have any meetings or anything, I just like, Lord, would you help me? Would you give me wisdom? Would you help them? Would you, whatever that is. And then R, I do not get up until I remind myself of the gospel. Jesus, you love me. I am your son, uh, Father. And Jesus, you live for me. You die for me. You rose for me. Like, I, I remind myself of the gospel. That is how I pray. So we have three habits of Lent. Giving, prayer, fasting. And I'm just challenging and encouraging each and every one of us. Let's all do that for the next 40 days together. And let's just see what the Lord wants to do. Now, at the beginning, I said new habits are formed by cues, routines, and rewards. The cue we have is this new season of Lent. The routine was be giving and fasting and praying. 
but what is the reward? Remember Jesus said in that Matthew 6 text, he says that there is a reward. It, maybe you just want to get a reward from people seeing you, or maybe there's a reward from your Father. And so I want us all to know that there is a reward. And it's not a reward to manipulate God. Like we're not fasting and praying and giving just to manipulate God. It doesn't work that way. But he does say in the text, when we do these things, there is a reward. Do you want to know what your reward is? Do you want to know? The reward that we get from all this is more Jesus. You don't look too impressed. And the reason why sometimes that doesn't like get our juices flowing and get us too impressed is because we're so full of the world, we have no space to have more of Jesus. And that's the point, part of the point of Lent is to, is to create more space so we can be more devotion to the Lord and more desire for the Lord. So I just highly encourage you, highly encourage you, let's join in this together. Now, I'm going to switch a major gear real quick. Um, I, I want to show you something in Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 1 and 2. Jesus says this. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth, and he taught them. So this is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and then Jesus gives us these Beatitudes. He says this in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who persecuted for the righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before them. So we are going to be launching during the season of Lent, uh, of Lent the Beatitudes. So every week we're going to go through the Beatitudes together. And we're gonna, you're going to discover so much in this that these are not laws. And these are not these things that we aspire to be. But actually what Jesus is saying is this is who we are in light of him and in relationship to him. So what does that look like? We're going to find out next week. I want to pray for us, and then we're going to go to the Lord's table. So if you would, join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for just uh, how you make life happen. And you, uh, just through your sovereignty and through the church history, you've given us this, these seasons that we can go through and experience just different aspects of you or just different seasons of life. And so now we embark on this new season, the Lenten season, to where we really find life through dying. And we only can do that because, Christ, you lived, you died, and you live again forever. And so we want to model that as well as we live now because we know that is where we will truly find life by losing it and losing it in you. And so, God, we have these three hearts behind Lent that we would be generous, devoted, and have greater desires for you. And so, God, would you apply that to our lives? Would you empower us to be generous, even when it doesn't make sense? Would you help, to be, help us to be more devoted to you? And Jesus, although you are probably all of our greatest desires, sometimes you're just not our strongest desire. And so we just pray that you would strengthen our desires for you. I pray also that we would practice these things together. It seems obvious, Jesus, that you told us 
that when we do these things, and so there's this assumption from you, Christ, that we would do it. So would you lead us, guide us, and empower to do this, us to do that? And Lord, as you do all this, would you just continually unify us? God, just make us a stronger uh, church together as a family. God, would you bring us joy and peace through, through the, the times of suffering through this? And as you do that, would all this be for our joy? And Jesus, for your glory and your glory alone, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.